Well, good morning, everybody. Well, we have been going through the book of Ephesians, and we are in chapter 2, focusing this morning on verses 4 and 5. Um, but uh, let's begin by looking at verse 1 of, of chapter 2, and we can see what we looked at last week. Such an incredible passage of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And you, he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We find in our passage this morning, Two of the most wonderful words that you will ever find anywhere in Scripture. We had just looked at our condition prior to salvation. You were dead in trespasses and sins. We were walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air or Satan. We were conducting ourselves in the lust of the flesh fulfilling desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. As far as a horrific picture can be painted, it's as bad as it could possibly get. I mean, as far as looking at our nature, dead, unable to do anything to resurrect ourselves, covered in sin, following Satan and going after the things of Satan and his demons. Conducting ourselves in such a way of whatever our flesh wanted, that is what we did. Not caring about the things of God, not wanting to do the things that would please God. Being proud, trying to earn salvation by ourselves. Being in a place where the inclinations of our heart were only evil continually. We loved darkness rather than the light. We hated the things of God. We didn't want to seek after him. We didn't want to go towards him. We were running away from him. And under the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, under his wrath. I say that, and yet I know that whatever goes through my mind when I think of the wrath of God is nothing in comparison to what it actually is. Eternity in hell, separated from the glory of God, black as darkness. That was our state. That was our condition. That's who we were. Left to that, hopeless. Left to to who we were and the nature in which we were born with, We were going in a direction of eternity away from the glory of God 
to a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth for all eternity. But God. But God did something. Two of the most precious words in all of Scripture. But God. If those words weren't there, hopeless. Unable to save ourselves, unable to do anything to earn favor with him. But God. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, these two words in and of themselves in a sense contain the whole of the gospel. The whole of the gospels found in these two words, but God. Let's kind of take that apart this morning. You look at 1 Corinthians 4, 7, where it says, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? What makes us different? What makes us different than the others? What makes it so that we're no longer children of wrath? We're no longer going according to the lust of our flesh. We're no longer following the devil. We're no longer in a place where we're dead in our sins and trespasses. What makes us different? God. He did something. Let's look at a few of these things. Who predestined you before the foundation of the world? Ephesians 1.4. God did. Before you ever created anything. Predestined you before the foundations of the world. Chose you. Who... Who loved who first? God did. We weren't people who were those who just fell in love with him. Loved him so much that we finally, by our affection, by our love, by who we were, we finally won him over. Some of you did that to your spouse, right? Pastor Matt, my sister Angela. Man, Matt went hard after her. It's funny because I was their youth pastor at the time, and so I watched it and prayed that it would not happen, but it did. And, and <laughs> just to give you like a, just a, just a t- t- tidbit of what we experienced with Matt, I was going over to play soccer overseas, and, and my sister Angela was going, she went with my team, and, and she was going to stay in Austria at a Calvary Chapel Bible College there for a semester. And, and so Matt was still like pursuing her hard at that time. And we're, teams racing through the airport in New York to catch the next flight to head over to, to Europe, and, uh, we get this emergency announcement, Angela Otsuji. You have an emergency phone call. Come immediately, like to a service. You don't know. No one knows where those phones are, right? So she's racing, like someone died for sure. For sure, someone died. Like I have to find. I have to find the emergency phone. I have to find it, right? We finally find it. Hello. I just miss you so much. We almost missed our flight. We almost missed our flight. 
But he pursued her so hard and, and, and finally won her over. This is not the case with us towards God. We, we were not pursuing him hard. We did not fall in love with him first. He fell in love with us. He loved us. He loved us before he ever created anything. And it wasn't because of our beauty. It wasn't because of what we had to offer him. He simply loved us. Who called you when you were dead and sins and running from God? It was God. A calling, a holy calling that came upon you. This Holy Spirit drawing us unto himself. Who made the full payment for your sins? It was God. Who forgave you of past, present, and future sins? Christ. Who made you righteous? Did you? Did anybody else have anything to do with making you righteous? All of your efforts towards righteousness, God says, is just filthy rags in his sight. We have no ability to make ourselves righteous. You think of people who just try to be good people. But their goodness, if it's not done to the glory of God, and if it's not done through God's enabling, it is not good. And yet, he's made. Christ fulfilled our righteousness. Christ made us righteous. Who adopted you? Gave you all the benefits of sonship? It wasn't that we were in some orphanage and we really played it up. It made it so that we were the ones that got picked. No. God adopted us. God determined that that would take place. But God. Who showed compassion and mercy towards you? Who caused grace to abound towards you? Just pour out on you. Who changed your heart of stone and made you a new creation? It was God. Who sealed you with the whole, his Holy Spirit until the day of redemption? The Lord did. Who began the good work in you and who will finish it? Christ. Who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure? It was God. Who keeps you until the end? The Lord. Who's gone to prepare a place for you? Who will you dwell with and behold for all eternity? Who alone has fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore? And then you can just keep going on, right? Who's giving you his word with all the promises in it? Who's giving you his word It's sharper than any two-edged sword and pierces your heart and brings you to repentance? Who's given you the Holy Spirit to minister to you? Who's reconciled you? Who's redeemed you? Who's the one who has given you the church? Gifted different people within the church to be a blessing to you. Who's made preachers of the word to go forth and bring you the gospel? Who answers prayers of a grandmother or a mother or a father or a grandfather or an uncle or an aunt or a neighbor who's praying for you that you'd come to salvation? Who answers those prayers? God does. Who can make something out of nothing? God does. Who can make Sarah have a child when she's way past her years? 
God does. Who could fulfill all things and who's always faithful, God is. And we could just keep going on everything, everything, brothers and sisters. And pertaining to our salvation, pertaining to us spending eternity with him, us being made righteous, us being purchased, us having our sins paid for, all of it comes to but God. Every part of it. It's him. He's done it. 1 Corinthians one twenty six says this, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God's chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God's chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. All of the glory goes to, but God. I was dead, but God. I was walking according to the course of this world, but God. I was doing the lust of my flesh, but God. God did it. There's a reason why we praise him in such a way. There's a reason why we love him. There's a reason why we depend upon him and call upon him. He did it. Precious, precious words. Imagine if those words were not there. But God. Look at the next few words there. But God who is rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. Let's look at a few passages of Scripture that talk about the mercy of God. Maybe something that we take for granted, maybe something that we don't think about very much, but God has a lot to say on it. In Psalm 136 and verse 1, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. That's the song where over and over again it is, for His mercy endures forever. It is something that we as Christians ought to be overflowing with thankfulness to the Lord for his mercy. The quality of that mercy is such that it endures forever. We might show mercy for a little bit. Like, all right, I'll I'll show you mercy. It's one time. Don't do it again. That's not how it is with our Lord. In Psalm 86, verse 12, I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify your name forevermore, for great is your mercy towards me. And you've delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. You, you hear the psalmist just, with every bit of my heart, I will praise you. Why? Because of the greatness of your mercy towards me. It endures forever. There's a greatness to his mercy. 1 Peter 1, 3 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who according to his abundant mercy. 
has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. And so what we know about this is, according to his abundant mercy, we have that. When you start thinking about your inheritance that's incorruptible and that's undefiled, and it doesn't fade away, and it's reserved in heaven for you for all eternity, it's there. Thank the Lord for his abundant mercy towards you. In Titus 3, verse 4, but when the kindness of the Lord, of the, when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, towards men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. It wasn't by works of righteousness, it wasn't but you. But you did this. But you came through. But you were faithful. But you sought after him. But you were smart enough. But you had the right heart. It had nothing to do with that. It is but God. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. In Psalm 59, verse 16, it says, But I will sing of your power. Yes, I will sing aloud of your mercy in the morning. Get the idea there? The idea there is it'll be loud. It'll be from my heart. When I sing to you in the morning, Lord, it is gonna be because it's gonna be because I love your mercy that you've shown me. I love his mercy. Sinner that I am. I understand what Paul meant when he says, oh, wretched man that I am. My only hope to spend eternity with him is his mercy, his grace, his kindness, his faithfulness, what he's accomplished for me through the cross. And it's your only hope too. Sing of it. Give thanks for his mercy. The psalmist says in Psalm 89, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. This isn't something that's going to end at some point where we're like, all right, I've said it enough, right? We're thankful. No, we will sing of his mercies forever. When you've been there 10,000 years, Bright shining as the sun. You'll have no less days to sing God's praise than when you first begun. And you'll keep singing of his mercy. With my mouth, I'll make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I've said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall establish in the very heavens. Remember when Moses is saying, show me your glory? And God's saying, well, no one can see my glory and live, but I'll hide you in the cleft of the rock. You remember that? Well, right after he does that, it tells us in Exodus 34, verse 6, that the Lord passed before him, and this is what the Lord said. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. 
He just enables Moses to see a little bit of his glory. And when God says, do you want to know why? Because I'm merciful. I'm merciful. And I'm gracious. I'm long-suffering and I'm bounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. But when he enables Moses to see a little bit of his glory, the first thing that he says, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful. I'm merciful. He didn't get to see it because he asked enough or deserved it enough. Earned it. It was the mercy of God. And when you see him in all of his glory, it will be because of his mercy. In Psalm 51, in verse 1, David's at that place of having been confronted by Nathan the prophet in this beautiful prayer that goes forth of repentance, begins with the words, have mercy upon me. Have mercy on me. When this man calls out to the Lord, the first words are, have mercy on me. Based on what? That he was really sorry? That he deserved it? No. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. May we say something like that today. God, have mercy upon me. I just need mercy. According to your loving kindness, I need mercy. And Do it according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Take away my sins. Blot out my transgressions because of your mercy. Israel was a mess and Jeremiah that's there. and It says in Lamentations 3.22 that it's through the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Whole reason why you're not consumed is because of the Lord's mercies. Because his compassions fail not. Brothers and sisters, the mercies of God, his compassion, it's it's new every morning. Do you love that? I love that. The reason why is because I need it every single morning. I don't want to wake up tomorrow and try to pull it off on my own. I don't want to have to wake up tomorrow morning and be like, hey, I got to pull. I mean, he's done his part, right? Now it's my turn to do my part. I'm hopeless if that's the case. Prone to wander, right? Prone to leave the God we love. But what does he do? He takes our heart and he seals it. He binds us with, with fetters and makes it so that we stay with him every morning. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. No wonder he says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. But God, 
It's only him. The source is only him. Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 22, What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which is us, which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Our salvation is him making known the riches of his glory, and he does it on vessels of mercy. That's us. Our text this morning goes on to say, because of his great love with which he loved us. So here are the words. But God, who's what? Rich in mercy. Because of what? His great love with which he loved us. Great love, this phrase is only used here in the New Testament, and it is precious, isn't it? When you start thinking of, but God, this is what he has done, and to be able to say it's because of his great love with which he loved us. The quality of his love. In Romans 5, verse 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Picture in your mind Christ upon the cross. Picture the people that are down below saying, crucify him. He saved others, can't save himself. Those who spit upon him, hurled insults at him. If you want to know what the love of God looks like, how great the love is, picture who it is that's there. And then picture our Lord saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If you want to know the greatness of his love, Read through scripture to be able to see the details given of the crucifixion, the nails that would be in his hands, the whippings, the beatings, the beard being plucked out, hurling insults at him, and know that Christ knew all of that was going to take place. Picture him in the garden calling upon his disciples to watch and to pray. But the anguish that's over him as he's getting ready to go to the cross to where he sweats drops of blood in the midst of it. Picture him going to the cross knowing that he's going to take all of our sin upon himself. He's going to take the wrath that we deserved upon himself. The precious blood of Christ, the one who was without spot or blemish, will be spilt for us. And there will be separation between him and the Father as all of our sins placed upon him. And then think of the words, because of his great love with which he loved us. The quality of his love is made 
perfectly evident, apparent in the work of Christ upon the cross. It's a great love. A passage that's familiar to all of us is John 3.16, right? But how you read this could change a lot about the way that we think on this verse. The words that we emphasize, if we say, for God so loved the world. The emphasis is, it's God that did it, right? It's God, is, he, he's the one who so loved the world. But we could also, which would be appropriate, but God. But it's also possible to read that and say, but God so loved the world. The way in which he loved us. He so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. No wonder the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write because of his great love with which he loved us. Galatians 2.20 says, For I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. He loved you. Make it personal. It's appropriate. It's possible for us to say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, and that's good, right? But to stop for a moment and say, so, but he so loved me. He loved me. He loved me and he gave himself for me. It's possible for us to just have a hard time in this life because we just don't feel like we're loved by anybody well enough. If you care a lot based on how others perceive you, it could be hard, right? But you don't feel like you're appreciated or loved or cared for the way that you think you ought to be. And when those times come and it's a little bit hard, no, he so loved you. He so loved you. God loves you. With this great, great love that's demonstrated through the work of Christ upon the cross. It's demonstrated even more so because of who you were. And that he still loves you. Romans 8, 38. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when we look at the way in which God loves us, the way in which he loves us, how precious is it to know that, and there is nothing that can separate you from that great love. Nothing. That's not how we operate as people. I mean, we, we're like, she loves me, she loves me not. I called her at the airport, she loves me not. <laughs> right? She loves me, she loves me not. It's not how it is with God. There is nothing that can separate you from his love. 
Even when we were dead in trespasses, even when you were dead in trespasses, he still loved you with this great kind of love. Please don't think that you as a believer could ever do anything that makes it so that you lose his love for you. I mean, if, if he loved you when you were dead in your sins and trespasses, you think he's going to stop when you've been made a new creation, you've been given a new heart, the Holy Spirit's made residence in you, you've been given robes of righteousness, your sins have been removed, past, present, future. You think he's going to stop and say, like, well, I loved you before the foundation of the world, but I didn't know you were going to be so bad. If he loved you when you were dead in your sins and trespasses with this great love, rich in mercy, the greatness of his love towards you, be assured, brothers and sisters, it will continue to the very end. And he made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive together with Christ, but God, rich in mercy, the great love with which he loved us, regardless of who we were. He made you and I as Christians alive in Christ. For by grace you have been saved. The basis of being made alive is not that you resuscitated yourself or you ran really hard. The basis of you being made alive is richness of mercy and the great love in which he loved you and me. You've been made alive. You who were dead have been made alive. Why? Because of God. He did it. It's possible that there's someone here this morning or multiple people here this morning who have not yet been made alive in Christ. Hear the words of the Lord. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. You know that today could be the day of salvation for you? Where today is the day where God changes your heart and opens your eyes, shows you that you are dead in your sins and trespasses or that you are dead in your sins and trespasses. But he, by his grace, not based on your performance, not based on anything that you could ever do, anything you could ever merit, you don't need to clean your life up before you could come to Christ. Dead in sins and trespasses, children of wrath, following Satan, God can make you alive in him today through faith in Christ. Awesome. He's done it to all of us. We are not here because we're awesome. We're not here because we figured things out. We're not here because we have a good upbringing. We're not here because we're good husbands, good wives. We're not here because we were good kids. We're not here because we're good neighbors. We're not here because we're good workers. We are here because of the grace of God. He changed our lives forever, forever. And he could do that for you as well. Come to him empty-handed. You got nothing, right? Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The gospel. He'll make you alive in Christ. Jesus 
prior to going to the cross. Luke 22, verse 20, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. We have life, we've been made alive because there was blood that was shed for us. That's what took place. We have a new covenant in his blood, which was shed for you, for by grace you've been saved. We're going to participate in communion now. And I pray that it would be just a precious time for us as believers to be here this morning and to think, how is it that we take this? Is it because we deserve it? No. We come up here and we just say, but God did it. But God. But God. This is who I was, but this is what God has done. And we're going to take time to remember him and his work upon the cross for us this morning. So let's pray together and have the ushers come forward. Um, We'll sing a song of praise and then pray over the elements. Prior to partaking, so... Let's pray together now. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your rich mercy, the great love in which you've loved us. Regardless of who we were, Lord, you've made us alive. There's life in you because of what you've accomplished for us. As we come forward to get the elements, Lord, I pray that there would just be a sweet, sweet time of communion with one another and most importantly with you as we remember what you've done for us. Thank you for this great salvation in which you have saved us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I invite you to come forward, get the elements, and then hold them, and we'll pray together and partake together in just a moment. So we picture Christ there with his disciples taking the bread, and breaking it and saying, this is my body. It's broken for you. The great love with which he loved us. There, about to go to the cross, he says, take this, break it. It represents my body which was broken for you, And do this as often as you can in remembrance of me. Right? I mean, when you talk about the great mercy, his richness of mercy, wouldn't you think if somebody, if God himself were to come down, become a man, become the least of all men, be tempted in all ways yet without sin, fulfill all righteousness, and go to the cross and take all of our sins upon himself and give us all of his righteousness so that we can be gifted with eternal life with him in glory, you would not have to remind them to give thanks. Right? But, oh, how sweet our Lord is. His mercy. 
that he says, do this as often as you can in remembrance of me. And so we do. To remember, let's remember him together this morning. Brothers and sisters, this, this is for Christians. If you're an unbeliever this morning, it's not for you. Unless today is the day in which you believe and trust in Christ for salvation. And then joyfully partake with us. But for believers, we do this in a worthy manner. Proclaiming his death. His body broken for us. Will you pray with me? Lord God, we're thankful for this bread that represents your body broken for us. As you partake together, Lord, may you be worshipped in the hearts of each and every person here this morning. May we approach you with this incredible thanksgiving that we don't have to be under your wrath because you took it all upon yourself for us. We worship you now. We remember you as we partake. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together. In the same manner, he took the cup and he says that this represents his blood and the new covenant we have with him. It represents his blood that was shed, his precious blood that was shed so that the payment could be made in full for your sin and for my sin. He says, do this as often as you can. Proclaiming the Lord's death till he comes. What is our hope this morning? It's in the cross, isn't it? Who has saved us but God? Christ alone has saved us. His blood shed for us for the remission of sins. And we partake together in remembrance of him. Let's partake together now. At this time, let's stand together. And let's sing with all that is within us into the one who has shown us the greatest mercy and love imaginable through Christ. Let's worship.